This morning we're kicking off a brand new series we're calling Resurrection Stories. Uh, perhaps this is news for you, but Easter Sunday, or what the church has historically called Resurrection Sunday, uh, is just around the corner already. Can you believe that? We're almost there. Um, so as we lead up to Easter, uh, we thought it'd be fun to explore some of the other resurrection stories in the Bible. In fact, there are several. Um, and the hope is that as we explore these other resurrection stories, it might prepare our hearts, prepare us for the moment when we come together and we encounter the great resurrection story, the resurrection of Christ. And so uh, we're really excited about this series. I think it's going to be a fun few weeks as we work our way through it. So this morning we're going to kick off our series, Resurrection Stories, with probably uh, the most familiar rec uh, resurrection story in the scriptures outside of the resurrection of Jesus. And that story is the story of the resurrection of Lazarus, of Lazarus. And so our scripture reading this morning is found in the gospel according to Luke, Luke uh, uh, sorry, not Luke, John, my goodness, even my name, uh, John chapter, chapter 11, the gospel of John chapter 11. Hey, uh, if you brought your Bibles, I encourage you, there's something about being in the text together as, as we uh, dive into God's word. And perhaps you didn't bring a Bible, I'd encourage you, grab your phone. Um, just Google John chapter 11 and you can follow along in the text together. There's something powerful about that. But uh, John chapter 11, starting in verse 38 this morning. Um, our scripture reader this morning is Carol Hill. Carol, you can head on up when you're ready. In church, what we do together, if you're able to, is we stand for the reading of God's word um, as it's read in the center of the room because God's word ought to be central to our lives. And this is a great reminder to us week after week of that reality. So Carol, when you're ready, take it away. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Thank you, Carol. You all may take a seat. I love that last line, take off the grave clothes, Lazarus. Love it. Um, the story of Lazarus is, is one of my favorite stories in the Bible, and the reason for that um, is the story of Lazarus is, is one of the most uh, meaning-layered uh, meaning stories in all the Gospels. It has so much depth to it. Um, the Apostle John has a hundred things for us to learn about how our faith works and how we ought to interact with it in this one story alone. It's a story of great depth. Now, the story of Lazarus is also really long. Like, it's really long. In fact, it is the longest uh, single story in the whole gospel, in the gospel of John. 
Now let's just kind of get uh, the rap sheet of Lazarus. Who's Lazarus? Lazarus is the brother of two very familiar people in the Gospels. Lazarus is the brother of Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha. Um, in fact, the Apostle John goes out of his way to make sure that we know who Lazarus' sisters are. If you have your Bible, take a look in verse 2 a second and you'll see that there. Um, this is what it says in verse 2. It says, this Mary, this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. John wants us to know this detail. It's this Lazarus, right? It's this Lazarus. Um, now, the reason John wants us to know this is because Jesus has a history with this family. And that history, and as you read John chapter 11, has created a deep friendship between Lazarus and his sisters and then with the Lord, with Jesus. Um, in fact, John, the author of the Gospel of John, says that Jesus loved Lazarus. And he says that twice in the story about Lazarus. In verse 5, you can see it there. Then you can see it there again in verse 36. Jesus loved Lazarus. And so as the story goes... Jesus' good friend Lazarus becomes sick. And apparently he's sick enough that his sisters are like, we probably need to let Jesus know he's that kind of sick. And so they send words to Jesus. Um, Jesus eventually hears the news. And after a couple days, he and his disciples, they head to Judea where Lazarus is. So Jesus arrives and he finds Lazarus has already passed away. Lazarus was already gone. And the scene that Jesus walks into is a difficult scene. Perhaps it's a familiar scene for some of us. We've encountered this scene before. It's a scene where Jesus walks in and everyone is filled with sadness. Everyone is weeping. There's mourning everywhere. And so Jesus sees all their mourning. And if you have your Bible and you look in verse 33, what does Jesus do? He joins in it. He joins in the morning. It's where we find the shortest verse in the scriptures. What's that short verse? You guys are brilliant. I love it. Jesus wept. And so eventually Jesus makes his way to the tomb after mourning the loss of Lazarus. And when he arrives, he demands that they open the tomb. And everyone warns him like, uh, Jesus, this is a bad idea. This guy's been in there dead for like four days. Like, it's going to be funky in there. Like, you don't want to go in there. And Jesus kind of has an arm wrestling match with them. And they end up removing the stone from the tomb. Jesus stands there in front of the tomb with the stone removed. Jesus says a prayer to the Lord, to his Father in heaven. And then he stands at the entrance of the tomb. He peers in, and then he yells out to Lazarus, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus, come out. And suddenly, I imagine like a minute passes where you got to have the drama. Suddenly, Lazarus, covered in white stripes of linen, looking like a, a mummy from a horror movie, right? That's what I imagine at least, steps out and he's alive. It's a wild story, isn't it? It is a wild story. Now, what are we supposed to do with this story? See, the, the story of Lazarus, one thing, well, it's true. It's true. It's like a real story that actually happened. Jesus actually did these things. It's a true story. 
But John, as he's writing these words in the gospel according to John, intends us to do more than just say, oh yeah, that's true. John intends us to learn something from this story. Like I said earlier, there's a hundred different things we could learn from this one story about Jesus and Lazarus. And if we just sat here all day, I could talk and share all 100 points and we would be engaged together as a community. And it got quiet in here. No, we're just going to use three points. Three points about this story that I want you to see. Um, And the first point is this. The first learning. Accept what must come before resurrection. Accept what must come before resurrection. Now, what do I mean by that? Uh, The story of Lazarus has this really interesting moment in it. So Jesus shows up in Bethany where Lazarus and his sisters live and he finds everyone in deep mourning and sadness, which makes sense. Like they just lost Lazarus. Lazarus probably wasn't supposed to get sick and die. Like it wasn't a long time coming. It was a quick thing. He just went like that. It was quick. They lost a dear friend their mourning. But the interesting moment comes is kind of immediately after that moment in the story. You know, the response we would expect Jesus to have as he walks into this room of grief and mourning is what? Well, I would expect Jesus to walk in and say, hey guys, I'm Jesus, I'm here, put the tears away, like we're going to go fix this thing, this isn't a big deal, we got this covered. That's what you'd expect Jesus to do in this moment. He knew he could raise Lazarus, right? But that's not what happens. Jesus witnesses the despair of Mary and Martha and everyone else that's around. And if you have your Bible, take a look at verse 33. This is what Jesus does here, okay? It says, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, what does it say? He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled Where have you laid him, Jesus says. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then what? Jesus wept. He wept. Now, why did Jesus weep here? Like, it makes no sense in light of the fact that we know what's going to happen next in the story. He's about to resurrect Lazarus. There's no need to mourn and weep. Like, it doesn't make any sense. But you see, Jesus wept precisely because he knew he was going to resurrect Lazarus. Let me say that again. Jesus wept because he knew he was going to resurrect Lazarus. Lazarus. Now, you maybe are thinking, what? Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Let me explain. You see, in order for Lazarus to be resurrected, there had to be an acceptance of the state that Lazarus was currently in, right? Jesus had to acknowledge the terrible reality of his friend, which was, well, Lazarus was dead. Not mostly dead, not just a little dead, like all the way dead, the scriptures say. You see, Jesus couldn't have resurrected Lazarus if he was unwilling to even accept the fact that his friend was already dead. Resurrection always comes after death. Resurrection after death. As far as I can tell, you can't resurrect somebody that's still alive. Now, somebody maybe has tried. I don't know, but I prove it to me, right? Prove it to me. 
And the reality that Lazarus was dead to Jesus was a painful one. It's wrong. It's not the way that it's supposed to be. You see, what Jesus does here is models one of the most painful lessons that we have in life. You know, sometimes in our lives, bad things happen in life, right? Sometimes bad things happen in life. You know, sometimes we're the ones that are actually doing the bad things that happen in life. Like, that's true as well. Um, Sometimes we do the bad things in life. Sometimes other people do the bad things to us in our life. Sometimes people wrong us in our lives. You know, sometimes even we find ourselves terribly wronged by another person in the worst way, right? You see, the only way to do something about the bad things in our lives was to acknowledge them and acknowledge that they're bad. Accept reality for what it is. Resurrection always comes after death. Need an example. You know, one of the journeys I've been on for the last four or five years now is I've been on a weight loss journey. The joy, isn't it? You've been on that journey. You know what I'm talking about. Five years ago, I weighed almost 250 pounds, which all you Dutch people are like, that's nothing. For me, I'm like a little shorter. That's like a lot of weight for me, right? Today, I weigh a, a little bit less, I think, like a little bit less than that. But do you know what kickstarted my journey to losing weight? What it was? Um, One day, Becca and I were at the gym, and she wanted to go weigh herself. And I said, honey, you go weigh yourself. It's going to be a blast for you. Have fun. It's going to be great. And of course, she went and, you know, she weighed herself and, you know, she did her thing. And then she said, hey, I've got an idea. What if you go weigh yourself now? And I said, no. Oh, I don't want to do that. Eventually, the prodding worked, and I said, okay, I'll weigh myself. And so I stepped on the scale, and then I looked down at the number, and I have good eyes, but I had blurry eyes anyway, um, and the scale said 245 pounds. And then I thought, that, that's impossible. Like, am I wearing heavy shoes today? Like, what, like what happened? I don't, I don't know what's going on here. When I saw that number, that was a super painful moment for me. It was a horrible moment. It was the painful reality of that moment that led me to begin a journey of weight loss. Resurrection always comes after death. You see? You know, some of us are harboring some hurts, some pains, some unforgiveness. That person that did that thing to me and that really wounded me, right? Some of us are harboring those things. And some of what we do with those things is we fail to acknowledge them and we push them off to the side. Like, those things aren't a part of my mind anymore. I don't don't think about those things. But if you ever want to get over those things, the only way to get over those things is what? To face them. To look at them. And to allow yourself, as Jesus did, to weep over them then you can move to resurrection and forgiveness and reconciliation. Now, John has a second lesson for us um, in the story of Lazarus as, as well. First, we must accept what must come before resurrection. 
Second, we must trust the person responsible for resurrection. Trust the person responsible for resurrection. You know, one of the more interesting things in the story of the resurrection of Lazarus is how the people around Jesus throughout the entire story interact with him. Virtually every single person in the story assumes that Jesus is responsible to do something about the fact that Lazarus has died. Like everyone in the story just assumes that fact. In fact, there's even a disciple that's named in the story that makes the same assumption. His name is Thomas. Anyone know anything about Thomas? Thomas doubted, right? Doubting Thomas. That's kind of how we've nicknamed him. It's an unfortunate nickname for an eternity, but he stuck with it. I'm doubting Thomas. Even doubting Thomas, trust Jesus here. You can see that in verse 16 of the passage. All of them just assume that Jesus can do something about Lazarus. The question is, why do they assume that? Why would they assume that? Why in the world would virtually anyone assume that Jesus can do something about Lazarus' death? Like it doesn't make sense, right? You see, it's because they know who Jesus is and they know what Jesus is capable of. But most importantly, they have chosen to trust him. They all unanimously chose to trust him. Now, in our world today, in the society that we're steeped in, um, sociologists have a special term for us, the way that we view the world. We modern people, we, we have a certain eye toward virtually everyone in our lives. It's like a predisposition toward everyone in our lives. Sociologists use the term to describe it. They call it a hermeneutic of suspicion. A hermeneutic of suspicion. Everyone understand what that means? Okay, let's move on, you know. I'm just kidding. Um, a hermeneutic of suspicion. What's a hermeneutic? It's just a fancy term that means interpretation. We modern people interpret everyone in our lives through a lens primarily of suspicion, sociologists would say. We just assume everyone has selfish motives for everything that they do, right? We just assume that. We assume that everyone, if they're going to do something nice for me, that they're doing it because they want something in return for that nice thing that we're going to do. In other words, we live and function in a society that we would call a low-trust society. You know, just turn on the news and you can see the low-trust society unfold before our eyes, right? We believe no one really is trustworthy, right? But you see, Jesus is. Jesus is. You know how we can know that? Look at the story of Lazarus. Jesus weeps. He feels the same sorrow that everyone in the room has for the loss of Lazarus. He joins into it. Jesus is empathetic toward all of it. He enters and he feels all the stuff. He's part of the pain. And when Jesus acts, he does so, so purely. It's not about him and his interests. It's about the people around him. That's what matters to Jesus. It's about Lazarus. That's what matters to Jesus. He is so selfless in the story. It's not about him. Jesus is trustworthy. It's a radical statement in our age. Jesus is trustworthy. You know, do you trust the one responsible for resurrection? You're like, yeah, you know, yeah, of course I do, you know. But if we really trusted him, 
don't you think our lives would look just a little bit different than they do? Just a little bit. So accept what must come before resurrection. Trust the person responsible for resurrection. And lastly, see everything in light of his resurrection. And what do I mean by that? Jesus faces the painful reality of Lazarus' death. Jesus is purely empathetic. He cares greatly for the people around him. He cares greatly for Lazarus. And that leads him to this moment where Jesus is standing in front of the tomb where the door has been moved to the side, the rock has been rolled away. And as Jesus stares into the tomb, he shouts with a thundering voice, Lazarus, come out. Come on, man. Lazarus, come out. And then Lazarus does. How do you think that changed Lazarus's life? That moment. Well, it utterly changed his life forever. It, you know, in the Gospel of John, um, there is a mystery disciple that appears on the scene occasionally. I think it's really interesting. There's a mystery disciple. He gets mentioned again and again. John will say something like, uh, there's Peter, and then there's the one whom Jesus loved. There's this disciple, and then the disciple who Jesus loved. And he never really names who this disciple is whom Jesus loved. Um, this, the, this, that disciple comes up six times in the Gospel of John, and he never says, oh, and by the way, this is the disciple that I'm talking about. Now, many people would argue, okay, who is this mystery disciple? Well, it's probably the guy writing the book, right? Like, it's John. He thinks he's special. He's pulling one over on everyone else, something like that that. Maybe. It could be. It could be John is the one whom Jesus loved. Could be. However, there is one person in the gospel of John who is named as someone whom Jesus loves. Who is it? It's Lazarus. It's Lazarus. Isn't that interesting? It's Lazarus. See, I wonder, I wonder, you know, we don't know this for sure. I wonder if Lazarus wandered out of the tomb and in that moment, Lazarus became not just a friend of Jesus, not just a loved friend of Jesus, but Lazarus became a loved follower of Jesus in that moment. Like it changed the trajectory of his life. And I wonder if he followed Jesus through the rest of his ministry, all through it all to, to the cross, he followed Jesus. And he followed Jesus to Christ's own resurrection. I wonder if that happens. No, in fact, in the Gospel of John, there's this great moment. Uh, Jesus has been crucified. He's dead. He's buried. Like, that whole thing happened. And then something happens on Resurrection Day. I mean, if you have your Bible, turn to John chapter 20, starting in verse 1, and you'll see this story. I think it's really interesting, okay? Now, listen to John uh, chapter 20 a second. And contrast it with the story of Lazarus, right? See if you can find some similarities. This is what it says. It says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene. Okay, now pause. Mary Magdalene. Who is Mary Magdalene's brother? Lazarus is Mary Magdalene's brother. While it was still dark, Mary Magdalene, Lazarus' uh, sister, went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Who else had a stone removed from the entrance? Lazarus had a stone removed from the entrance. So Mary, she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, okay? 
the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple, the other disciple whom Jesus had loved, started for the tomb. Both were running toward the tomb, right? Both full on sprint toward the tomb. But the other disciple outran Peter. That's an interesting detail. Outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And he bent over and looked in. And what did the other disciple discover? Strips of linen. What does Jesus say to Lazarus? Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Who's the other disciple whom Jesus loved? I think it's Lazarus. His whole life changed when Jesus resurrected him. And he was the first one to see the white linens of Jesus just as Jesus was the first one to see his white linens. Friends, the story of Lazarus is a story that, well, frankly, is a story for us if we choose it too. It really is the story of salvation. If you want to live a life like Lazarus, if you want to be called um, Jesus' beloved friend, beloved disciple, first, if you want to do that, you must accept what comes before resurrection. You're going to have to spiritually die. You're going to have to face the ugly sin inside of you. The good news of Jesus, some say, can't be good news until you accept the bad news about yourself first. And when you do that, then you have to trust the person responsible for resurrection. You bring your bad news to Jesus. You trust him with it. You bring your sin. You bring your brokenness. You bring the story you've been telling yourself your whole life. You bring your baggage and you trust the Lord to take it. You hand it to Jesus and say, you hold this for me. And you trust that he can and that he'll do something about it. And if you get to that moment in your life, friends, hold on. Seriously, hold on. Because you will begin to see your whole life through the lens of resurrection. You will feel compelled to do things that you never thought that you would want to do. You will love people deeper than you ever thought you could love people. You will be more merciful and gracious people to people far more than you ever thought you had in you to do so. And you will be loved by Jesus. Be loved by him. You know, if you're here this morning and you're like, that's not my story yet, I encourage you, plead with you, go for it. Go for it. Trust him. Love him. Follow him. See what happens. See what happens. Buckle up, church. Let's see what happens, amen? Let's pray. Lord, there's virtually all of us in the room that have that hurt, uh, that have that pain, that have that bad story. And Lord, it's a part of our story, but 
we've pretended like it's not there, and it wreaks all kinds of damage as it stays lost in the shadows, Lord. Lord, give us the boldness to look at all the pain in us, to see it, to come face to face with it, to weep over it. And Lord, give us the trust to take all of that as we've recognized it all and give it to you and trust that you have us. Lord, I know there's somebody here today that needs to make that decision. Lord, I pray that your spirit move and that happens. It's a glorious day in heaven. And Lord, let us buckle up. If that's us, you've got a ride for us, for your kingdom. Prepare us for that. We pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.